very much, Doug. Well, we're continuing our sermon series, Christmas at the Movies, and I know what some of you are thinking this week, finally a movie that speaks to my heart, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, right? So you're, you all can connect to this because you, you all know exactly who that Grinchy person is in your life, right? Not saying that it's you, but you know, you could probably identify right now someone who probably has that, and you know the story of the Grinch. It goes back um, all the way back to his childhood, and, and there are several different options. 1966 was the first Grinch uh, cartoon that came out by Dr. Seuss. Um, in uh, 2000, I believe, was the, the one with Jim Carrey, and then last year there was another cartoon version that came out. There's been some other ones throughout the years and stuff. And so you probably have your different ones. You probably compare and contrast, and it's kind of interesting that you would do that because you're going to look at the different movies and you're going to talk bad about one uh, in relation to the other, which is exactly what the Grinch wants you to do, right? So you've, you've just really become Grinchy about the Grinch, and so you're a Grinchiest Grinchy, Grinch, Grinch, Grinchy Grinch, right? And, and those are both nouns, verbs, and adjectives all together, and so uh, try to figure those things out. Out. But, but we are going to talk about the Grinch a little bit, and we are going to look at the Jim Carrey version of that because um, it's probably the most obnoxious of all of the movies, if, if we're being honest. Um, Jim Carrey is probably the, one of the, 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 the greatest over-actors in all of cinematography and all of theater, um, but the guy's got this face that just does these amazing things, and so you can't help but, but laugh a little bit. Uh, by no means am I endorsing this film as theological truth, and so let's just make sure we're all settled on that. Uh, we might see some things pull out of there that we could relate back to, to, to truths in, in Scripture, but uh, certainly I would not say, hey, listen, if you want to forego reading your Bible, just watch the Grinch movie. I would not say that at all. That's, that's, not, uh, that's not a good way to do that. Uh, but I do want to look at how the Grinch stole Christmas. And uh, in this version of this film, we're going to look, watch a couple of clips. What we see is, is the Grinch um, actually were the origins of, of where his Grinchiness came from. And so it started in childhood. And so I just want to challenge you this morning as we look at a couple of different things is, is to ask you this question in your own heart and your own mind is, is, is what is Christmas really all about? Um, where does it go wrong in our own lives, right? And, and how do we miss that? And, and really, if we're, if we're perfectly honest, who's to blame for that? Um, because I, I think some of us sometimes, especially this time of year, we can kind of focus some of that attention on how we've been treated or what we've received or what someone's done to us. And it gets a little bit of challenging some days. And we stop and kind of miss out on how much control we have over our own lives, over our own spirit, over our own heart, how we respond to, and really, to be honest, our own grinchiness. And that can kind of shape us a little bit if we're not careful. And so this morning, I, I want to start just by looking at the origins of the Grinch and help us kind of understand a little bit about what's going on with the Grinch. And so let's watch a couple of clips here. We're going to watch the first one, and then we're going to talk about that, and we're going to see what the Scripture says about that as well. When he came home that day, he really got into the Christmas spirit for the first time. your best tomorrow. You don't have a chance with her. You're eight years old and you have a beard. Oh, 
has everyone given their gifts? I haven't. Christmas, Martha May. Why do you have a bag on your head? Probably because he's embarrassed by that idiot's gift. <laughs> Mr. Grinch, please take the bag off. Yes, you take it off. Put the book down. And your foot. Look at that hat job. interesting about that that clip there is that you see that his name was already Grinch but yet there was a there was an episode a, a turning point in his life that moved him into total Grinchiness right and so he just he kind of lived up to his name a little bit and, and in the process of that what what we see is that his ideal of Christmas was making something with his own hands and giving a gift to someone that he really cared about to try to get their attention and to, to let them know that they're special to him and then that just totally went awry now, I think many of us could probably uh, 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 really relate to that, right? Where Especially if you've ever watched a kid get the same gift that he got from another grandparent or another friend, and he gets the same gift again. I don't, I don't know about you, but I'll just confess, we've actually coached our children up in years past. Now, my kids are, are 19 and, and almost 21, but we've coached them up on the surprise face, right? And, and so if you get something that you've already got, when you, you just, yay, it's the greatest thing ever, right? Now, I, I'm not saying that's great parenting because, trust me, you could look at a whole laundry list of stuff and see where I did not do it right. But I did do that. And, and, and most of that is, is for what reason? It's so that we can, we can let the gift giver know, hey, we actually are really appreciative for what you've done and we don't want to seem unappreciative. But, but you know, there's an honesty in a child sometimes that, that is a little grinchy. Uh, and that's kind of the spirit of who we are because of the fall of mankind. When man sinned against God, it, it, would, it became very internal, right? We started to focus on ourselves and, and the things that make us happy and satisfy us and bring us joy. And we missed sight on a lot of things, especially at Christmas time. We looked where we really miss on what Christmas is really all about. Is it about giving gifts? Okay, sure, maybe it is. Is it about family? Okay, yeah, maybe it is. But when we just make Christmas about giving and receiving gifts and spending time with family and doing nice things and giving some stuff to charity, if we take Jesus out of the equation, we absolutely miss Christmas completely. And the Grinch had an entire life of that, and it became expected of him, and so his behaviors would be uh, uh, followed in that same direction, and people would see him behave that way and kind of think that way, and they continued to just do negative things toward him. And so even as a young child, he saw that Christmas was not all it was cracked up to be. That it wasn't all the joy and the happiness and the kids' laughter and all these things. And that people equated love and affection with the type of gift and how good it was or how expensive it was too. Now, I know none of you have ever done that before. You've probably never looked at the biggest box and said, I can tell how much that person cares for me because of how big the box is. 
or I can tell how, how much they love me because of how expensive it is. Oh, is that a half carat? Is it an eye quality? Is it a little cloudy or not? You've probably never equated the love that someone has for you by the value of the gift that they've given you. Am I right? Because I know most of you, and I, I would never think that you would ever do those sorts of things. Of course we do those things. We're human, right? We assess value to all kinds of things, even in the effort that somebody puts forward to. And this is where the Grinch kind of went wrong here. And so at the very end of that clip I just showed you, he grabs the Christmas tree and he throws it um, out the chimney. It flies out of there and he screams, I hate Christmas. And from that point forward, what the Grinch does in the, in the, in the film is he's doing all he can to stop Christmas and just make Christmas a terrible, terrible event. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew's gospel, we start with uh, the genealogy of Jesus and, and where he came from and his family. We played a great game in our adult time this morning. Uh, we talked about the five women who were named uh, in the genealogy of, of, of Jesus, and they were, uh, they were Rahab, uh, Mary, of course, his mother. Uh, they were Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, Tamar, uh, and Ruth. And what's really interesting about that, just a quick little Bible tidbit there, is, is of these women who are listed, they're not Jewish. Uh, two of them are Canaanites, and one of them's a Moabite woman, and they were at war with the Jewish people forever, but yet they're in the genealogy of Jesus uh, from his past, and God had a great plan to see that Jesus was going to be born. He was going to be born in Bethlehem. He, he said that uh, through the prophets thousands of years early, and that this was going to happen because mankind needed salvation. And the only way they were going to get salvation was that a special child was going to be born. He's going to be born in a special place in a special way. And he was going to live a perfect, sinless life for all of mankind. And he was going to go to a cross and die so that all of man's sins would be forgiven. And God was going to see that that was going to happen because he loved his creation. And so in Matthew chapter 2, we pick up kind of the story that birth. And you've read this before. And so we're going to read the first six verses. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem's, Bethlehem's a little village right outside of Jerusalem. You can actually see it on a clear day. They're, they're that close together. And Bethlehem was basically just a little town where they kept a whole bunch of sheep. And then all those sheep, usually the king's sheep, would go for sacrifice into Jerusalem during the high holy days. And so this is kind of the society that they're in. And so number, verse 2, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now these wise men, Jesus has already been born. The wise men are saying, where is he? We know about this star. We've heard about this from the prophecies of the Jewish people. There's some other things that are out there. God spoke into our hearts. And he's been born king of the Jews. Now Herod was the ruler of the Jewish people at the time. And so when you go to him and say, you're the top dog, but we're actually looking for the king and we know you're not him. Where is he? That's got to make him feel real warm and fuzzy, right? Hey, listen, king, we're so glad that you're here. Thanks for welcoming us into your kingdom. Now, where's the actual king at? The real guy, you know, the baby that can't even speak yet. We've actually come to see him, not see you. But thank you for your pleasantries and for welcoming us in. So this is kind of what's going on here. And so in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, um, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem was troubled with him because word travels fast in a small town, right? Verse 4, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them... Uh, where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then you may have a paragraph change in your Bible at verse 7, because the thought kind of changes at this point. 
Verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may go and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, we don't actually know that was Bethlehem. We just kind of assume that may be, and we, we put a lot of in that. We don't know that he was still in Bethlehem. He may have already left by then, but it was probably a little bit close, okay? Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. They haven't even met Jesus yet. They haven't even found this king yet, but they saw the star because somewhere in the prophecy... We're watching things getting fulfilled, and they're saying, we're on the right track. We're on the right path. We're going to go find this king of the Jews, this Jesus, this special child, and we're going to go worship him. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy in verse 11, and going into the house, not the manger, by the way, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down, and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh, and being warned in a dream... Not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now what's going on here is that Herod is deciding that he's going to let these wise men, who truly were wise in the sense that they had more knowledge than he did about this Jesus who was promised to this world. He was going to let them go and find this child under the belief that he was going to go worship him too. But that was not Herod's plan at all. He was using these wise men, to get to Jesus to try to stop Christmas. That's exactly what the Grinch was trying to do. It was not a new ideal. Herod was one of the first people to try to stop Christmas from happening. Now, they didn't call it Christmas then. and They didn't, they didn't have trees and ornaments and all that stuff. But Herod himself had devised a scheme, a plan to try to stop Christmas, and he was going to use others to do that. Herod did not want to worship Jesus. He only wanted to pretend like he did. You know, sometimes at Christmas time, we have these warm feelings and we do these nice parties and we give gifts and we give cards and we give all this stuff to friends and we really do enjoy that time together. But if we're being perfectly honest, especially in the church where we really need to be perfectly honest, sometimes we miss out on what Christmas is all about. And we, we, we take Jesus completely out of the equation and it's all very superficial, it's all very short-lived and it doesn't worship Christ and so we could do that any other time of the year. We don't have to just do that at Christmas time. But when you take Jesus out of the equation, it's really not Christmas at all. It's just a celebration. It's just nice things. And those are good things. They make us feel good. It connects us in community. God actually wired us to do those sort of things. We should continue to do good to one another, as Ephesians tells us and Galatians tells us as well. We should do those things for one another. But we use this ideal of Christmas, this ideal of Jesus, to make it a special time of year when really that's how we ought to love people all the time. And we miss out on that. And so when things don't go the way we want them to, or we don't get the gift that we like, Christmas isn't canceled by any means. I would even go so far as to say maybe Christmas didn't actually start if Jesus is not in it at all. And so we see from the Grinch and we see from Herod that when you try to stop Christmas under any different vice or any different plan or any different scheme, God had a specific plan that this child would be born in a specific way. He would show the sign that that would happen. And you can do anything you want to try to track him down, and it's not going to happen. But that didn't stop Herod, and it didn't stop the Grinch either. And the Grinch saw what was going on with the Who's and Whoville. And so I want to watch this next clip, and let's talk a little bit more about the Grinch and Herod and what they're doing too. 
Yes, they are. That's what it's all about, isn't it? That's what it's always been about. Girls. Girls. Yes, 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 yes. You want to know what happens to your gifts? They all come to be in your garbage. You see what I'm saying? In your garbage! I could hang myself with all the bad Christmas neckties I found at the dump. And the avarice. The avarice never ends! I want golf clubs, I want diamonds, I want a pony so I can ride it twice, get bored, and sell it to make glue! Look, I don't want to make waves, but this whole Christmas season is stupid, stupid, stupid! There is, however, one teeny, tiny Christmas tradition I find quite meaningful. You can just kind of assume what he's saying there. We have some of these these non-biblical, non-Judeo-Christian practices at Christmas time, and mistletoe being one of those. You know, when you walk under the mistletoe, you're supposed to get a kiss, you know, or give a kiss or whatever. And some people take advantage of that. The Grinch is going to go on a terrible tirade here, so that's why we stopped that clip there. But I do appreciate, unfortunately, the honesty by which he says, you know, that's what Christmas is all about, right? Avarice and greed. And avarice is just a really big, fancy SAT word, you know, that they, you get 25 cents for or whatever. That just talks about it. it's greed and desire to be rich or to be completely satisfied by, by, by the world's standards. And the Grinch is actually being very honest here, looking at all the who's. Now, all the who's are these nice people, and they're always friendly, and they do all these different things for one another, and they have these celebrations, and they sing together. I mean, you know, they kind of look like a church. Let's just be honest for a second. I mean, Whoville is kind of like the ideal church because no, everybody helps one another and everybody does nice things and nobody really does mean things to each other. And when they do, you know, it's usually in a committee or something, but that's just a different story altogether, right? And the Grinch is saying, listen, I see your facade. I see the outside of you. But, but at the bottom line, when you start talking about Christmas, it all boils down to gifts and greed. And he just says, all of your gifts, they come to me in the garbage. Now, I don't know how many of you have thrown away any of last year's gifts, or the year before that, or the year before that. But, but I, I kind of have a spring cleaning, but I also have a fall cleaning too. And we get rid of a bunch of stuff that's just kind of laying around in the, in, in, the, in the attic or laying around in the garage, and we, we get rid of a lot of stuff too. And I want you to hear me clearly. There's nothing wrong with giving gifts. There's nothing wrong with receiving gifts. But when Christmas is all about gifts, then we're missing it. And the Grinch may actually be onto something there. He may be actually onto something because Herod was doing the same thing with the mistletoe. He was trying to observe the commonalities of the time, and he was trying to sneak his way in there and trying to make what he wanted to do, what his ultimate goal was, look just like the Grinch. There is one Christmas tradition that I find fond. Mistletoe. Show me where this child is that I too may go and worship him. I can't wait to see, oh, you wise men, I'm so glad you guys are here because I was hot on the trail of this Jewish king that was born, but I just can't seem to find him. Thank God you're here to help me find him so I can worship him too. And sometimes in the midst of all of our worldliness that we miss out on Christmas, we think we're worshiping, but we're taking Jesus out of the equation, and we're not much different than Herod in that case. We don't really start Christmas, but we can't really stop Christmas. But Herod Steele is up to no good. It's just like the Grinch. 
And while I appreciate his honesty, there's a problem there. There's a problem in all of our hearts that we put on a nice smile, but we're just as grinchy on the inside too. I want us to watch another, another clip that I, I, I'll explain in a second. But I want, to, I want you to watch another clip. I want you to see. We're going to go back to the scripture in a minute too. But I want you to see kind of what's happening here and what the Grinch is. His plan is I'm going to stop Christmas. I've confronted you. I've lied to you. I've called out your sins. I've called out how terrible you people really are even though you're all nice in Whoville and you make nice treats and all that stuff. But I'm going to stop Christmas. And so let's watch and see what he does next. He cleaned out that icebox as quick as a flash. Why, that Grinch, he even took their last can of hoo hash. Then he stuffed all the food up the chimney with glee. And now, grinned the Grinch. I stuff up the tree. And the Grinch grabbed the tree, and he started to shove when he heard a small sound like the coo of a dove. Excuse me. Grinch had been caught by this tiny who daughter who'd got out of bed for a cup of cold water. Santa Claus, what are you doing with our tree? But you know, that old Grinch was so smart and so slick. He thought up a lie, and he thought it up quick. Why, my sweet little dot. The fake Santa Claus lied. There's a light on this tree that won't on one side. So I'm taking it home to my workshop, my dear. <laughs> I'll fix it up there and I'll bring it back here. Santa, what's Christmas really about? Vengeance! Er, I mean... I suppose. Hmm. I was afraid of that. And his fib fooled the child. Then he patted her head and he got her a drink and he sent her to bed. Forget the Grinch. I know he's mean and hairy and smelly. His hands might be cold and clammy. But I think he's actually kind of sweet. Sweet! You don't think he's sweet? Merry Christmas, Santa. When Cindy Lou went up with her cup. Nice kid. Bad judge of character. He went to the chimney and stuffed the tree up. Nice kid, bad judge of character. I'm so thankful that the wise men weren't in the same category. After we finish with verse 6 there, if you, if you read on through 7 and 12 and then you get into the next section, what, you, what we saw at the end of there was that the wise men um, were told 
that Jesus was here and that they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. And so right after that, uh, we see that, that Mary and Joseph actually were also warned to get out of Bethlehem and to go to Egypt. And so they went out to Egypt to escape what was coming next. Now, they didn't know what was coming next. They didn't know that Herod was trying to find the child to worship him. The wise men knew something wasn't right. And so I'm thankful that they were not a bad judge of character and they listened to what God was speaking to them through dreams. I'm thankful that Joseph had that same experience too. Now, this is not the first time Joseph has been warned in a dream to do something. Originally, he thought that he would divorce Mary. And the, the, the angel said to him, don't do this. Marry her. Make her your wife. Raise this child. Have more children. We'll see later on in, in Scripture that, that they did have many more children together as well. And so he listened this time, and he, he, he left out of Bethlehem. He's probably thinking, hey, we traveled the ninth month on the back of a donkey. We can get up and go, you know, with a newborn too. Not really a big deal. Uh, we don't have any doctors telling us, hey, don't travel, you know, that, that time uh, is there as well. And so he takes the child and his mother Mary, and they head off to, to Egypt. Now, Herod is still convinced, I'm going to stop Christmas. I'm going to stop this, this new Jewish king because he's threatened by what's going to happen here. And in his mind, he's thinking a military king. He's thinking uh, some sort of powerful leader is going to come about. Whatever the case may be, what he's thinking is, I'm going to lose power. I'm going to lose control. I'm going to lose uh, all of, of, of the, the, the strategy that I have. I'm going to lose all the strength that I have. I'm going to lose this because people are going to start believing in all these prophecies. They're going to look at this child, and he's going to overthrow me. And at the very minimum, I'm going to lose face on this, let alone my entire kingdom. And he understood that there were prophecies that foretold about what was happening there. And so if you have your Bibles with me, turn to, to, to Matthew 2, and let's look at verses 16, 17, and 18 together. Because I want to see how I want you to see how serious he was about trying to stop Christmas. In verse 16, he says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Herod went to such an extreme that he says, if I can't find the one, I'll just play the odds and I will kill every male child two years and under and I will stop this from happening. I will somehow, by the, by the might of my power and authority, by the edge of a sword, I will stop this special king from coming to rule in this kingdom, from dethroning me and taking my power away, I will stop this. I will make sure it doesn't happen. And folks, this is one of the greatest tragedies that we, we, we often, and myself having been a Christ follower for a long time and a pastor for a long time, I look at this passage and I just go, God, how is it that you allowed this to happen? How is it that so many of these innocent male children, two years and younger, that their life was taken away? as a result of this. And the one thing I can go back to is simply this. Because of the fall of man, because sin entered into the world, things are not like they're supposed to be. Things aren't fair. They're not just. They're not right. And this was not God saying, I'm going to make this happen. This was Herod saying, I'm going to do this to protect myself. And I don't care about anybody else. I don't care what happens to them. I really don't even care about the subjects that I rule over. I'm not going to lose my kingdom. And if that means I have to take the lives of innocent children, I'm going to do that. 
And God said, it's so important that my son be born. But let me tell you something. This is what I find most interesting. This story is terrible and it's tragic and there's nothing about it that really makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. But God said, I'm going to make sure that the story of the survival of my son, the one and only son for all of mankind who will redeem and take away the sins of everybody, I'm going to make sure this story lives on and it stays forever. Because I'm going to tell you something. You've got a terrible, horrible, ruling king who decides to go and kill children. People are going to remember that story. And they're going to tell that story, and they're going to talk about that story, and they're going to wonder why that happened. They're going to go back to the same thing, which is really not a whole lot different from where we are today. Herod was trying to stop Christmas, and God said, no, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure Christmas continues on. The Grinch wasn't much different. He told lies. He told pleasantries. He took compliments from a little girl who saw more in him than he saw in himself, and he still turned out to be a terrible person. Herod is tracking down this child. He doesn't even know his name probably at this point. If he'd go back and read some of the old scriptures or have them read to him, he'd probably know what his name might be. And he tried everything to stop Christmas. You know, friends, I think sometimes some of the greatest problems that we have is that in the commercialization of Christmas right now, when we get into all the hustle and the bustle and all those things, and we don't stop and spend true worshipful time talking about this Jesus child, that we're really not much different that we've stopped Christmas some way or the other. Now, I'm not against gifts. I'm not against the season of doing nice things. I think that's a great thing. I think that actually shows some of the best in humanity. But here's the thing. The best of humanity will never get us to heaven. The best of humanity will never satisfy what only Christ could satisfy for us. And he was going to need to live a perfect, sinless life and die a horrible death on a cross. Not in a little small town in the middle of nowhere, but up on a hill so everybody could see that. And he was going to have to come back to life to do that. And God was seeing that that was going to happen because mankind needed that gift most of all. And unfortunately, because sin entered the world and were separated from him, a lot of innocent people suffered that way, including some of these children. But Herod did not have the power or the authority to stop Christmas. And neither does the Grinch for, what's that, for the, what that is worth. I want us to watch one more clip together. And I want us, I want us to, to wrap us up this way. But let's watch this and then we'll talk some more. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. <laughs> he hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas. He thought doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more 
What happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. <laughs> that crying scene goes on for like a whole other minute and a half, and I, I just can't bear it. I mean, that's the greatest overacting scene I've ever seen in my entire life. But, I, I love that clip, and, and, and I, I want to kind of bring us back around to help us understand. I, I, what I love about that is a couple of things. First of all, uh, he, despite his pursuit, nothing worked for him. I mean, he had just gotten through stealing all their presents and all their lights and everything. One of the coolest uh, houses that I've seen decorated is a single strand of lights that are halfway pulled down and a Grinch inflatable, and he's pulling them down. I'm like, that's, that's awesome, you know, so simple. Uh, it speaks to my heart, too. It's, it's you know, the small-sized one, right? And, and so I, 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 I like that he tried to cancel Christmas, and then all of a sudden he hears them singing, no presents, no gifts, and they're still singing because they're remembering that the greatest part of Christmas is not the things that they give but the people that are around you. And while that's a heartwarming, feel-good message, it still is absent of Jesus. And, and so I, I want to make sure we don't miss that point, that while it's great that they were singing, they had a great time, and they were fellowshipping together, those are wonderful things, but Jesus was not in the picture. But, but, but look what happened here, and we see some great examples. Max, his loyal dog, who just got beaten and, and was just, you know, just treated so poorly, Max was so loyal. He was there with him. He was the friend that all of us actually always want to have around. And even partner in crime, he did what he was told, but he was always there for him. And when, when his heart was growing and he was hurting because he was feeling, what did he do? Max, help me. And we all need a friend like that. We all need a friend like that always at all times. And then there was Cindy Lou who, who still had faith in him, that there was something good in him, that he, this wasn't the end of the line for him. I mean, this was the faith like a child that we all are asked to come and present ourselves before Christ. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to know it all. You don't even have to believe all of it. You just have to understand that Christ died for you. You, you got to believe that's true. And you can, we can work on the rest of that too because when we come with that simple faith, we know that there's a Jesus who loves us and he gave his life for us so that we might be redeemed. And there's people who believe in that too. But, but as we get towards the end of that, we see that his heart grows three sizes. Now, listen, I want you to understand something here. His heart grew three sizes from the inside out. And that's the transformation of Christ living in us. And it hurts when a heart grows bigger than it's supposed to. Medically, that's a problem, okay? But when we take our lives, like Herod trying to stop Christmas, trying to be grinchy about everything, treating people poorly or just putting on pleasantries for this time of year, when we do that and revert back to who we really are come around January the 7th or 8th, once the resolutions are already done, right, we stop working out, we're already eating the stuff that we said we weren't going to eat anymore, once we get back to who we really are at our very core, by that's, that's how we are, we, we, we get back to that place. Our heart, when it doesn't grow three sizes, we have to understand it's nothing that we get from everybody else. It's nothing that we give out from everybody else. It's what Christ does in us that transforms us. And that's the difference of Christmas. The Grinch is still going to be called Mr. Grinch. His name doesn't change, but his identity does. 
He's no longer the mean guy. Many of us, we're going to be marked by our past. People are going to know things that we've done before. And when they hear about who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives, they're going to probably look and go, I don't believe that. Some of the who's are going to be a little skeptical later on when he comes down because he's got to save Cindy Lou here in a minute too. She's going to jump on the sleigh and go crashing down towards town. They're going to see what he did. And they're not going to understand that. People aren't going to understand how we're transformed. And I'd love to tell you that in the scripture that there's a happy ending here that Herod found who this Jesus was and he really fell down and worshipped him, but he didn't. In fact, a couple of Herods later is going to be the one who sentences Jesus to the cross. He learned that by watching his relative and his relative and his relative before that. He ruled with the same iron fist, still trying to stop from losing his kingdom, and he thought it would be at the death of this one single individual that his great-grandfather or whoever didn't get when he was a child, that he's not going to get 30 years later when he nails him to a cross. We can't stop Christmas, but many of us need to start worshiping and getting into Christmas. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1 through 7, I want to read it for you. It says, Behold my servant, whom I hold upright, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says the Lord, the God who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for my people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind and to bring out, listen to this, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prisons who sit in darkness. This was the real meaning of Christmas. Who's the real meaning of Christmas? What's the real meaning of Christmas? It's Jesus who came to rescue us from absolute certainty of death and slavery and being enslaved in dungeons and being in the dark. That's the real meaning of Christmas. And the Grinch never got it right. It's a fun movie we can laugh at. Herod never got it right. And I wonder how many of us are going to get it right this year. That the real meaning of Christmas is not in the gifts that we give or that we get or the time we spend with family or friends or the places that we go or how much money we save on Black Friday or how much money we spend. on None of that stuff matters. The real meaning of Christmas is that there was a, a baby that was born, a supernatural birth, and he had to live to suffer so that he might rescue us from impending doom. That's the story people don't like to hear about Christmas, but it's the absolute truth. We were heading for darkness, and he was there for us. The Grinch learned two things that day, that maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store, and maybe Christmas means a little bit more. I love how Dr. Seuss kind of rhymes those things around, but I would encourage us, this Christmas especially, are we going to be like Herod trying to stop Christmas? Are we going to start off kind of subtle and maybe behind the scenes and never actually get into a true place of worship, even though we had great intentions, or at least we told everybody we wanted to worship? We're going to go full on the other side and say we're going to attack Christmas. We're going to try to make it stop. We're going to do everything we can to be absolute opposite of Christmas. And the one way that I can assure you that we cannot be grinchy this Christmas is if we go right back to the source and understand who Christmas is really all about. And that's Jesus. It's not you. It's not me. It's not those folks that we're going to give stuff to. 
it's Jesus. And we want to worship the true king. And so this Christmas, I want to invite you to join us as we do that. I hope you'll be here next week. I hope you'll be here on the 24th for Christmas Eve. I hope you'll be a part of our, our hayride next week. We want to invite our community to come and be a part of this Christmas, this Jesus. And we're going to see that in community together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the love that you have for us, for um, the hope that we have that is only found in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And God, on that first Christmas when the star was bright, we, we assume the, the sky was clear and it was bright and these, these magi, these wise men were seeking for this Jesus and they had pure of heart as well as mind too, Lord. They wanted to see their, their study and their hard work satisfied. But Lord, inside of them was, was a driving force that I believe was your spirit in them to go and find this child and to worship him and to, to not be derailed, to not be stopped, be, not be discouraged not be deceived either. And so, Lord, as they went and they found that child, Jesus, they celebrated and they brought him gifts. But, Father, we know that there are many who would try to stop Christmas, and even just saying Merry Christmas in the stores seems to be a problem for us. And so, Lord, I pray, especially those who know Jesus and understand the special child that was born, who would grow up and pay for our salvation, I pray, Lord, that this Christmas would not be a Grinchy one, this would be a Christmas that means so much more that we would tell the truth of God's great and amazing plan to bring a perfect, sinless child into the world. He would live a life and he would be sacrificed on our behalf that the greatest gift that we ever received was his son. Father, help us to be a lot less like the Grinch and a lot more like Max, to be loyal, to be joyful, to be there in people's lives to help them, whatever the situation may be, so that we might be able to share with them the truth of the who of Christmas. And that would be Jesus. For we ask this in his name. Amen.